Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. Hello, this is Paul Pelusa, the editor of Officer Magazine, and welcome to this episode of the Officer Roll Call Podcast. As always, I'm joined by Frank Borelli, the editorial director of Officer Media Group. How's it going, Frank? Going pretty good. I mean, as we record this, not that people care, it's a Friday morning. Uh, and you know, Fridays always make things better. It's, it's like Saturday Eve, so it's going pretty well. Yeah. So, you know, these episodes come out on, um, on Wednesdays. So this will be coming out a few days after we record it. Um, but the holiday season is coming up and, yep. you know, I know, you know, with, with everybody out there, um, on the street, uh, you know, juggling everything for you guys is, is extra difficult, uh, in, during the holiday season, um, but yeah, so we wanted to uh, wanted to get this done uh, early, and right now we're working on the November December issue of Officer Magazine, so that'll be out in mid December. But with this episode, we kind of wanted to do a look back on all the technology um, articles that we've we've done, just kind of touch on some of them and some of the key trends out there. But some of the stuff that we've covered in uh, Officer Magazine this year of 2023, so. Frank, if just to start off, like what kind of um, changes and trends have you seen in technology? And this is, you know, mainly computer technology, uh, communications technology out there. You know, it, it seems odd to say, but I'm going to say the invasiveness of it. And it, that sounds negative, and I don't mean it that way. Um, you know, my, my career spanned 40 years. And uh, when I went on the street, there were still patrol cars that didn't have uh, pop out. Uh, portable radios you know you had a radio for your car and you had a radio for your belt and they they didn't work hand in hand they weren't um conjoined uh and, and the fact that portable radios in the car were still relatively new to some places it was you know the early 80s when i started as an mp in the mid 80s as a patrol officer when, when you think back to that uh and, and where we are now with body cameras and and robot dogs and uh, big data and predictive policing and an MDT in every patrol car. Um, you know, that was before cell phones or even, I mean, pagers were kind of around, but they were big and bulky. Um, we, we've come so far in the miniaturization and the technology capabilities on the patrol officer or in the patrol vehicle that it, it really is an integration of technology now. Um, and it's amazing to think back over what, what, how that's happened and then to think about where we might be going with it, that, that, uh, that, that ability to have the access on the fly, so to speak, in the patrol vehicle, the access to data and, and warrants and registration information and, and reports and everything else is just so phenomenal, Paul. It's, um, like I said, it seems invasive and that sounds like it's a bad thing, but it's really not. It's just become so integrated and uh, and and it's a, it's a huge strength when it's used properly. Yeah, that's that's a great point, Frank, and actually a good uh, segue into the first article I wanted to talk about. Uh, this is from the March April issue um, of Officer Magazine, and it was titled uh, "Integrating Technology." This is a story that I um, that I wrote basically about the evolution of uh, technology within um, law enforcement, and like you said, the I guess invasiveness is a good word. The you know body cameras, in-car video, fixed cameras, AL, ALPR, and then the software that kind of joins all that together. 
Um, I talked to representatives from Motorola Solutions, um, iPro, and uh, Central Square about you know some of the products that they have and how they all work together. Um, because it's not only you know at the beginning of say body cameras um, when they first started coming out, it was you know to have the body camera to have the storage and to be able to you know review what was taken from the body camera but now it's like yeah the body camera in the NCAR video along with you know the ALPR and the fixed video and all of that has to shoot back to um, a, a command center almost in real time um, in some cases and and actually those videos so if you have the NCAR video and the body camera they have to be able to sync up and you have to be able to know what to look for as they're recording at the same time. So it's really become much more complicated than it used to be. Um, but in a, in a good way, it's offered even more evidence for uh, departments to go back and look at. You um, know, and it's all, uh, forgive me for interrupting you, there's pros and cons to all of it, though. All of that data um, has to be synced, like you said, and managed. And thank God we've developed the software programs um, to, to do that, to store it and to manage it. But we are storing more data now than we ever thought uh, it was imaginable at the beginning of the, the whole body-worn camera um, part of the era, so to speak. And then, you know, the other thing we got to remember is that no matter how many cameras they are, um, you know, if, if you're doing something in front of your patrol car, you have a dash cam, you have a body cam, you make an arrest, you have a prisoner compartment cam, you have ALPR cam, you have all these other things. None of them show what the officer sees. There's no camera that shows what my eyes are seeing, right? And there's no way for us to build in how the officer perceives what is seen. So pros and cons there, we, yes, we're getting more data than ever and it's a huge strength, but we have to remember the cameras don't see human eyes, what the human eyes see, and they don't translate the data based on individual perception the cameras can't possibly have my background training knowledge and experience um, and we really need to remember that that's becoming quite a challenge in in society and law enforcement today uh, people assume the cameras show it all and and it is what it is but cameras don't show it all and what it is is determined by the officer's perception so forgive me for interrupting you i wanted to add those pros and cons comments yeah, of course and um we talk about the software that's used. Um, Motorola's Command Central Aware um, brings together all all those different technologies and brings them into one software that uh, the agency can be able to use. Um, and, and, and in real time uh, during large scale incidents and be able to use that evidence and, and see what's going on. Um, and then I also talked to a rep from uh, Central Square about their Unify software. Now that's more for dispatch and it's uh, it, it's used to bring together different CAD systems. And that, I mean, it, it's really, there's so much technology within law enforcement that has changed, has developed over time um, that makes those complex, um, those complex things that that have to take place that you know officers on the street don't want to even really think about it's if they work they work correctly and some of these companies are really doing a good job at uh pushing things forward they are and it's imperative that the officers not 
yeah. be distracted worrying about the technology and whether it's working or whether it's not working or how it's going to be managed. That's not what they need to deal with on the street. They need, need to deal with the, the problems they were called to resolve or, you know, the crimes being committed. They're called to, to, to uh, prevent, stop, take control of, make an arrest, whatever. They can't be distracted with, you know, whether or not there's enough data storage uh, and whether or not the cameras are going to sync up. They, they don't have that. That's that's a distraction they don't need. So in that same issue, um, the March-April issue of Officer Magazine, I, I wrote a story about, um, it's called Going Digital, about the role that digital forensics is uh, playing uh, in, in law enforcement and how it's changed over the years. And I spoke to John um, Saliba from, he's the founder um, and CTO of Magnet Forensics, and also talked to um, Justin Tolman, who is a forensic subject uh, matter expert from Xtero and just about how digital forensics has grown. And then also the need for officers and detectives to become involved in the process of uh, digital forensics. Uh, you know, the, the software they use, the techniques they use can be kind of overwhelming for people who aren't, um, you know, aren't educated in, in how to use it, haven't really trained in it. Um, but there's a lot of things that, you know, officers can add to the process. I was told as far as, you know, things that they look for, they might have a greater knowledge of what's going on in uh, if video or photos that, that are pulled up that uh, the, the technician that's uh, dealing with the information might not have any of that background knowledge. Uh, they right. also talked about, um, all the the artificial intelligence that goes into it, all the processes that can be automated that used to, you know, be very tedious and take hours and hours. Those processes can now happen kind of overnight. And when the technicians come back in the morning, a lot of those um, processes that have been automated can be uh, finished while no one's in the office. It's just kind of interesting. Um, how have you seen as digital forensics change and um grow you know over time i mean within the last 10 years it's it's really become bigger well it's had to when you think about um digital forensics has to evolve just as personal communications and uh, devices evolve so as much as your standard smartphone has evolved in the last 10 years that's how much digital forensics has to have evolved as well right but um you know while we have detectives definitely need to understand the intricacies our forensic evidence techs definitely need to understand the intricacies. The average patrol officer needs to understand there's value <clears throat> in, 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 a, in an arrestee's phone, how not to violate any of their any of the law that, that that you know then we might lose the evidence, right? So what what do I have to do before I even try to look in their phone? Do I need a warrant? Do I need their consent? Uh, what can I do with it? What can't I do with it? All the officer on the street needs to know is how not to screw up the evidence effectively. Then forensic evidence techs and detectives can have all the information that's necessary down the road. They can build the intelligence value of it. But but the, the tools around it, the evidence tech, the, the technology, the forensic technology around digital evidence has evolved and has to evolve just as fast as the evidence itself and the, and the technology that supports it. Um, again, Data storage and manipulation is huge here. When you think about uh, a smartphone today with gigabytes of uh, memory in it, 
you know, and it, it used to not be anywhere near that. So just as those capabilities grow, so must the forensic evidence tech capabilities grow. Yeah, that's basically what I was told that, uh, you know, that, that it's almost a game of catch up uh, that a lot of these uh, companies are are playing here that as as they make advances, well, the technology makes advances, too. And you think of back in the early 2000s, we had flip phones and you could take images, you could take photos on them, you could even take videos, but they were grainy. They didn't take up a lot of uh, space and the, the processing for those didn't take as long and uh, didn't, didn't take as much uh, manpower. But now, yeah, with the videos and the photos are all uh, high resolution, uh, these cameras can take better photos than the digital cameras back then could take um that that yeah the processing that's needed and the data storage and uh that that's why a lot of these companies are trying to push um agencies to go to cloud storage and then there's of course tons of privacy concerns and that they they've been able to make um cloud storage more secure than it than it has been and kind of be able to go out there and explain to uh, these agencies and the chiefs and sheriffs that, that they can use the cloud and, and have it secure. You know, you're still having to convince chiefs and sheriffs of that because yeah. they're my age and, and the cloud didn't exist. And the cloud is this ethereal thing out there someplace that we don't have access to and control over. And I don't, if it's not in my station, or in some property I control, then I don't own it. You know, somebody else has got it. And there's this huge security uh, or lack of security perception uh, among chiefs and sheriffs my age. Uh, you know, the older, you know, 50 plus, been in the business 30 years or more. I think this is going to change. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think we'll see the big change in the next 10 to 15, 20 years, Max, because the younger generation of officers coming on, the, those folks under 30, under 25, They've grown up on the cloud. Everything's on the cloud. You know, you yeah. don't buy a DVD in a store anymore. You you buy a, a digital copy of it and it's stored in your account on the cloud. And it's perfectly acceptable to them. Um, there, there's no negative perception attached to it. So I, I think that that's a generational shift that'll occur. And, and we'll see more agencies, especially with the amount of data that's going to have to be stored. We'll see more agencies going to it uh, because otherwise... I mean, I imagine places like New York City are already into this situation. You know, a little town right now might be storing terabytes of data. Um, you know, the bigger cities are storing petabytes or more. And uh, when you get to that, the, the physical security of it, the physical storage of it starts to be a challenge. So they're not going to have a choice but to move to the cloud. But I think it's a generational perception that will shift. And, uh, and we'll see that happen gradually. Well, the next uh, story and trend I wanted to talk about is from the May-June issue of the magazine, and our coworker Joe Vince uh, wrote the story, The Future of Law Enforcement, which is about robots uh, and law enforcement. So he covered Spot for Public Safety, which is from Boston Dynamics, and the uh, K-5 um, from Nightscope, and bo both of these uh, robots or devices um, were unveiled by the uh, NYPD as part of their new, one of their new um, uh, initiatives to have robots involved in, in the force. So, and, and this was uh, when in April uh, they did it. So, you know, it, it is, 
like you said, generationally for, for chiefs and sheriffs to have to get used to kind of this new norm of technology out there. Um, it can be a little jarring to see these, you know, devices used, uh, just like with drones, um, out there. What, what is your take on using what, and if no one has seen this spot for public safety, please go on our website and look at some of the stuff we have from Boston Dynamics on there. It's very interesting. It's a four-legged robot. Um, looks like a dog. Even uh, the NYPD dubbed it Digidog, and they've used it for both police and for fire as well. Um, but, yeah, it's when you see these things, they look kind of jarring. What do you think, Frank? I think I grew up watching movies called RoboCop and Ed yeah. 209 was a danger to society. Yeah. Um, you know, and that, and that kind of, for people of the older generation, again, that's kind of the same thing with, with the K5, you know, you've got what looks like the top half of a coffee bean, except it's white and it's going to roll around on the streets with cameras built in and all this and that. And I think what, what concerns people is the unknown of it, right? Um, are, are these things autonomous? No, they're controlled. Do these things have any kind of weaponology on them, weapons on them? No. In fact, Boston Dynamics has a strict policy against putting weapons of any kind on, on their their robot dog on spot. Um, it, it's you know there's are the possibility in the future, I guess, but the company would have to change their their commitment. Um, it's a wonderful uh, recon tool. It's a wonderful rescue tool. It's a wonderful public relations tool. They got some great capabilities. Um, and essentially, when you think about it, these robots either add to our observational capabilities. We could say surveillance, but surveillance denotes a negative connotation. You know, like, you know, the, the, the police department is surveilling you. So we have a robot on the street. That's not that's not what it's there for. But it's more eyes. Right. It's more observation. If we can see the crime or present a presence and prevent a crime, which a police robot can do, um, then it's a benefit. But a greater understanding in the public has to occur. And again, this is going to be a generational thing. I think we're going to see these coming in uh, more and more in the future. And and God bless them. I'll tell you why. Because from the observation, um, excuse me, standpoint, uh, if if you've got to send somebody into a risky area, um. And, uh, you know, there's a potential that somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to get shot at. There's going to be a bomb that goes off, fire, whatever. W would we rather send in one of these robots or would we rather send in human beings? Well, we'll send in robots all day, right? Um, and, and, and that's really where the strength is. It, it helps mitigate some of the human risk uh, without losing too much of the capability. And when I say without losing too much, you know, maybe 5%. Uh, but it increases our ability to observe and, and gather data. And that's where I think the, the strengths of these things really are. I like, I think it's really neat. Like you said, for people who haven't seen it, go on the website, look up Boston Dynamics. Um, their, their robot dog, that's it, what it looks like. It's a, a bright yellow four-legged thing without a neck or a head. Um, it's, it's an interesting looking tool. Yeah, so I, I, I think um, one thing these companies have done, both Nightscope and Boston Dynamics, is make robots or that are kind of easily accessible for the public right um you know the the idea of a dog 
a robot dog, or in the case of the K5, it it does, you know, we I think we likened it to like an R2-D2 uh, from Star Wars. It, and like you said, it's like a kind of like a big coffee bean. Um, they're not, uh, you know, they're, they're non-threatening images. It's not, you know, a, a humanoid looking robot with arms and legs and a head and uh, something from... Um, what it doesn't it? have uh, guns I-Robot. attached and, and lasers and yeah exactly so so yeah and i i think i mentioned to you frank in the past that we had one of these k5s in a, um a new plan community uh a, a couple uh neighborhoods down from us had one of these that would roam the streets and it, they're kind of like roaming cameras and they you know they can print out reports you can you know press buttons on it if you need help or assistance and you know someone will come over on the uh, on the intercom system on it. So uh, with with the K five, it's more of like a roaming robot that can take pictures and video. And of course, there's some privacy concerns with that, but it's you know out in the public. And uh, with the uh, with the spot for public safety, the the robot dog from Boston Dynamics, um, it, it's kind of like some of the robots that have been used in public safety before, like tracked um, robots yeah. and robots with wheels but it can go in places that those can't that it can easily go upstairs and and go in kind of tough to get places and um even open handles if, if needed there there's a lot of stuff um that it can do uh that you know some of those tracked robots couldn't necessarily um do so i think hey paul real quick i think one of the important things to note is like the k5 can operate autonomously it, it can be given an assignment and put in place right the, yeah. the Boston Dynamics Spot is a remote control device. It, yeah. Like you said, that tracked robot where you've got somebody steering it, directing it. Yeah. It's not autonomous. It doesn't just go patrol the subway, right? It has totally. to be, it has to have an officer controlling it. So I, the last thing I wanted to touch on here is um, one of our uh, command Q&A features, uh, the growing use of facial recognition. This was from the January, February issue. And this was actually our first command Q&A um, feature, which if you guys haven't checked it out on the website, there's also a podcast that goes along with it. And I spoke to Assistant Police Chief Armando Aguilar from the Miami Police Department about their use of uh, facial recognition in um and AI and how they've used that in um, investigations, how they've used it um, to, to find information and videos and, and comb through um, all of the evidence that they have out there to find you know, suspects and, and to find information quicker than they used to be able to find it. But but the big thing he mentioned is kind of the, the public acceptance of this and how to do it in the right way. And in a lot of times when, or sometimes when agencies launch new technology, um, no matter, you know, what it is, if it can be somewhat controversial, if they don't get um, public buy-in at the beginning, then they really put themselves at a disadvantage. And, you know, that's when you get the, the negative, um, you know, TV news and, and, uh, news articles about it and groups coming out uh, resistance against it. So, you know, what Miami did was set up all these different town halls and they actually did it in the middle of COVID, um, which at first, you know, they, they were afraid that they wouldn't be able to have 
um, the attendance that they were expecting to have, but they posted all these on um, Facebook and they actually got way more attendance than they, they expected to in the first place. So that in a way helped them. And not only, um, you know, with getting public feedback and having the public involved in, in talking about um, this technology, they also had the ACLU um, sit down with them and they spoke to members of the ACLU and then, and realize that you know the 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 ACLU's goal is to for them not to use facial recognition, you know, not to use AI in in their investigations. Um, but you know, knowing that just sitting there and listening to their concerns would be better than doing nothing at all. And uh, so, what, what's your take on that, Frank? As far as like getting public buy-in when it comes to a lot of this new technology, these new initiatives that departments might have. I think transparency is key, Paul. I think yeah. as long as the agencies are communicating to their communities, this is the tool, this is how it works, this is what the reliability factor is, this is our policy that's going to control the use of the, the data or whatever images that we get. Uh, we're avoiding anything invasive. We're not invading your privacy. If you're out in public, you might encounter this, whatever it is. I think transparency and communications are the key. And then keeping it in perspective, uh, from the command level, right? Um, like Assistant Chief Aguilar said, uh, you know, they they have a, a clearance rate for part one crimes over 20 years, and they increased that percentage of clearance um, by using facial recognition. Now, he's very transparent about the fact that it's 1%. They've increased their clearance rate 1%. So is this the end all be all? No. Does he understand that? They get it. They're using it appropriately. Yes. They fully inform their community. Yes. That's what's important as these new technologies come out. Uh, transparency, communication, um, clear communicated policy on how it's going to be used, what the purpose is, and then communicate what the benefits are for it. And I think that's the way to go. Great. Well, yeah, Frank, I'd like to thank everybody who has listened to um, to this episode and listened to all of our episodes in the past. You can find it on our uh, Podbean page and on the website, on officer.com. And as always, if you have any questions for us, any suggestions you might have or feedback, you can reach us at editors.officer.com. And uh, you want to say anything to the folks before we uh, sign off, Frank? So this podcast is actually being published the day before Thanksgiving. Uh, for the people that have to work the holiday, I want to thank you for your sacrifice being away from your family and, and working. For the people enjoying it, I want you to enjoy it thoroughly and fully. And, and uh, don't think about work. You know, enjoy Thanksgiving uh, and be thankful that you're that we're all alive to enjoy it, right? Um, there's always that chance it's not going to happen when you go to work. You're not going to make it home. We all are. We all have. Let's be appreciative of that and uh, and continue to stay safe on the street so we can maintain that. Okay, so thanks again, everybody, for joining us, and uh, take care, and as always, stay safe. Thank you for listening to this episode of Officer Roll Call. Be sure to check back every two weeks for a new episode. Stay safe.